0: Lord, thanks so much for your word. Thanks for the chance to open it now, like we do every week, like Travis did last week. Thanks for his his, uh, his gift being here. Um, uh, Lord, we just want to uh, say to you that uh, we want you to have your way with us. We're, we're a room full of people who are on all kinds of different wavelengths right now. Some of us, uh, we couldn't wait to get here, and uh, we've been singing the songs and excited to hear what you have to say. Others of us, uh, we got dragged here, and uh uh, we don't want to be here, and, and we don't want to listen to this guy at all, uh, but Lord, it, there's everybody in between, and, and we know that you have made this appointment. You circled this date and this time on this day uh, so that we would all be here, so that you could have your way with us and lead us. So that's what I pray happens, no matter if we're following you or not. I pray that you'd lead us towards yourself. Get me out of the way. Speak in my place. Uh, show us what it is uh, to be a follower of you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I got a question for you. It's about questions. Ready? What, what do you think are the big, turn to someone next to you and, and tell them, what, you, what are the biggest questions a person can ask in their life? The big questions. Just, just a couple rapid fire. Turn to someone and ask you, what are the big questions that you can ask in life? I'm hearing lots of laughter. I'm, I guess they don't have to be serious questions. Yeah, we, Okay, has everybody got a couple? We'll get to those in a second. We ask questions all the time, don't we? I just did, just then. Do you see that? Yeah, we, we ask questions to get information. We ask questions sometimes sarcastically to make a point. Right? Uh, questions are just a part of our vernacular. How, and most of them are just throwaway. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Where are you going? When are you coming back? Anybody do that with your kids this weekend? Anybody? Right? When are you coming back? When you? Okay. Uh, but then there's bigger questions, like 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 as as a parent is disciplining their child. There's questions that they really want answers for, like what in the world were you thinking? Anybody ever ask that one of your kids? Right? And the kids are like ah ba ba Those are bigger questions. Uh, how about this one? The, the, the two that I I thought of. Uh, that you know that I was kind of hoping you would come up with uh, that are that are big in in a, in a person's life, uh, kind of surround like life's direction, like uh, uh, the Clash wrote a song about it: "Should I stay or should I go?" That, okay, the, the, the whole moving question: sh- Should I should I be in this job or in this job? Should I stay in this town or go to this town? Should I stay at this school or go to this school? I mean, should I stay or should I go? Is, is that a big question? Because it's going to shape the direction of the rest of your life, right? How about this one, fellas? Did you get this one? I hope you got this one if you are talking to your wives. If the big question in your life was, will you marry me? That was, that was a big one, right? Uh, that, it, it, it is a big one. Uh, there's others. Uh, but, but, but listen, we're going to talk about two questions today that a guy named Saul asked Jesus on this road that he was on to Damascus. Uh, a lot of people aren't aware that, that Saul asked two questions. In fact, if you read just Luke chapter 9, you come away with just one. We're going to talk about that in a second. But uh, three times in the book of Acts, the story of Saul and the Damascus road is, is told. It's told in Luke chapter 9 in the first form, as Luke reports it kind of historically. But then Saul himself, who becomes Paul, and I've just decided I'm going to call him Spaul. It's just easier to call him Spaul because it's too hard going back and forth. But, uh, oh, whatever. Um, but, but Saul, or Paul, tells his story Kind of, you know, in a, in a flashback to that day, two other times in the book of Acts, once in chapter 22 and once in chapter 26. And it's, it's kind of, as you, as you take all three of those accounts, you get the, the fullness of what really happened that day. And in Acts chapter 22, you actually find out he asked a second question of Jesus on the road to Damascus. You're going to see that there's a huge interplay between these two questions that Paul asks and a statement that I've made to you as a church For the last 11 years that I've been your pastor, I've I've told you this often, that the only thing that matters when you and I die, the only thing that matters, it's two, two things, the only things that matter are whether or not you know Jesus and what you did for him. Those are the only two things that last into the next life. Whether or not you know Jesus Christ, whether or not he is your personal Lord and Savior, that matters when this thing ends. And then the only thing that lasts, the only thing that's lauded as we pass from this life into the next are the things that we accomplished for Jesus in his name. Everything else is just kind of bleh. Those are the only two things that last. And Paul here on this, or Saul, here on this Damascus road, he asked two questions that are parallels, lined up perfectly with those two statements that I've always asked you. Let's read them together. Everybody ready? We're going to start in chapter 22 and pounce back to chapter 9. But Saul's on the move here. He's gone through Damascus, and he's going, to tell, we're going to, he's going to tell his story here in chapter 22. He says, As I was on my way and I drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. Everybody familiar with that? We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? And here comes the first question. You probably heard it. Everybody knew this one. He says, I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Here comes the question. Saul says to the uh, voice, he says, this is his answer, who, say it with me, who are you, Lord? And Jesus replied. He said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, who, who you're persecuting. Saul's first question to Jesus is a question that all of us have to answer. I would submit to you that this is the biggie. Who are you, Lord? The first big question in life is that. Who are you, Lord? It'll show you that in a second. There it is. Told you. Now, some of you are like, I know Jesus is, you know, the Jesus of the Bible. is God's son. Oh, no, 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 no. So, so, so. I'm not talking about what you believe about Jesus. I'm talking about do you know Jesus? Who are, have you made him Lord and Savior? Paul had a close-up and personal encounter with Jesus on, on this road to Damascus. He went from seeing him as, as the usurper of, of Judaism, as a fraud, to being the true son of God. Look what it says in Acts chapter 9 now, verse 19. This is after the road experience. He's met Ananias, like Travis told us last week. He's been hanging out in Damascus for some days with the disciples there, and he's been learning some things. He got so excited about his new faith in Jesus, his, his new relationship with Christ. This is what he did, verse 20. He immediately proclaimed Jesus. Where? In the synagogues. Time out. Where was Saul heading when he headed up to Damascus? Just so you know, the synagogues. What was he going to do there? He was going to take Christians who were hanging out at the synagogues out of the synagogues, haul them back to Jerusalem and put them on trial. Probably a lot of them would lose their, lose their lives. People had heard this about Saul. Here he comes to the synagogues. But instead of going there, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And taking people out, he goes, hey, are you a Christian? Me too. And he starts proclaiming that Jesus is the son of God. We're going to come back to that. Now, people were freaking out. All who heard him were amazed. That's the Greek word, extasis, from which we get our English word, ecstatic. They were freaking out. I mean, this was no, you know, small kerfuffle. Kerfuffle is a fun word. And he said, uh, this is what the people said. Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of all those who called upon his name? He He was a Tasmanian devil. He just whirled into places. And when he found Christians, he just made a mess. And has he not come here for this purpose? To bring them who, who follow Jesus bound before the chief priests. These guys, I mean, put yourself there. You know, a, a, a terrorist comes in. Like they did in a, a, a mall in Kenya some years back. Anybody remember that? Al Shabaab went into Nairobi's Westgate Mall. And they just started asking people, Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And if you answered yes, they, they, they ended their lives. Watch the documentary on it this week. You know, that, that's what they were expecting from Saul as he came into town. Hey, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And if you said yes, now he's there and he's saying, I'm one too. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. It's, it's like watching an NBA game, you know, the finals and, and LeBron James and the Cavaliers are playing uh, the Golden State Warriors. And all of a sudden uh, LeBron comes out at the halftime. He's wearing a Golden State uniform and he starts playing for the other team. Can't do that, right? You're already looking at it. <laughs> well, that's how people there in the synagogue felt. What made what made Saul change his laundry? What made him switch teams? It was his personal encounter with Jesus Christ. He hadn't been Listen, he was a theologian of theologians in the Jewish faith. He knew his Old Testament scriptures backwards and forwards. Uh, he, had, he had been exposed to the way this... This, this new idea, this new Jesus way, uh, and, and what, what had his findings led him to, you know, he, he basically said, No, this is wrong, and I'm going to persecute anybody who is Jewish and who is choosing this as their faith. What tipped him over? What made him change, change his laundry? He met Jesus. He had a personal encounter with the Son of God. Here's my question Have you? Have you? And some of you are nodding your heads or like, yep. And some of you aren't so sure. Because you've come to church. That's good. I pray that he gets talked about at this church and any church you kind of hang out at. But coming to church is not the same thing as personally meeting Jesus. Maybe you've heard that. Christians always talk about how we're not a religion. We're a relationship. Ever heard somebody say that? This isn't a religion. It's a relationship. It sounds kind of trite. Sounds kind of pithy. But it's true. Because I'm not trying to get you to behave a certain way. I mean, that's nice if you can line your life up with the principles and doctrines of Scripture and God's ways and all. It's great. It's perfect. It's good. But that doesn't make you a Christian. It makes you moral. My goal for you as your pastor is that you would meet Jesus personally. And that he would alter your life like he did Saul's. Saul got all singularly focused when it came to Jesus. Have you ever read any of Saul's, he becomes Paul, but but have you ever read any of his writings in the back end of your New Testament? I mean, he talks like this in Philippians. He wrote a letter to a church in Philippi. He says, hey man, for me to live is what? Christ. Everything about my life, Paul says, is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. He goes on in that line to say, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is is gained why because then I'll forever be with Christ for Saul Paul it was all about Jesus in fact when he when he would go to later on in his life when he becomes the missionary to the gentiles it says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 verse 1 that whenever, when he would come to places, he, he wouldn't come, like, with all of his great learnings, even though he was a smart guy, smarter than most of the guys. He, he just came with Jesus. Look what he says. And when I came to you, brothers, he's talking to the Corinthians, I did not come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't come with my bestseller and try to knock you out with all my, you know, uh, thoughts on our scriptures. and th- I mean, I just came to you with Jesus. Look what he says. For I decided to know nothing among you except what? Jesus, and him crucified. You know what I think happens a lot in my life, maybe happens in yours, is Jesus becomes an accessory. He, he becomes something we kind of pin on to the rest of our lives. We're doing a lot of decorating in our new house, all right? Lots of rooms to kind of arrange and fill. And Eleanor's always explaining to me, you know, it's It's nice to have the bones of the room, the furniture and stuff like that. But it really, you know, you're really going to get a pop when you accessorize. I'm trying to learn about the pop. That's why some of you ladies are wearing like a brooch or a necklace or whatever. It's not your whole outfit. Heaven forbid that's all you wore. But, uh, I mean, are you with me? But it's just a nice little something added on, Right? And a lot of people, they come to Jesus and he's just an accessory. He's just something we add on, just something to decorate our life's room. Well, that's not what he's meant to be. He is our life, he is our room. He's our everything. Is he your everything? My daughter, Chelsea, we've kind of adopted her. She's ours. She got on a plane for the first time on Friday. Uh, she, uh, uh, was going to her brother's wedding in New Jersey was, you know, bought the ticket or their own, all that stuff. And, and, but we said, listen, this, you know, you never flown before us. There's certain rules. Uh, you got to be there on time and stuff. So like that. oh, of course, <laughs> Friday morning comes, I intentionally gave her a time that was way early. Have You ever done this with someone? Okay. Way early. And of course, uh, you know, young lady, she just stayed up too late, slept through her phone alarm. Like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> all right. She was an hour late getting to my house, all right? And so and still had some time. Don't worry. I budgeted time. I, I saw this coming. <laughs> but she gets in there, and she's freaking out, right? Rightly so. Uh, she had packed kind of in a hurry. She got out of the car, and she was holding, like, a big purse, not like a carry-on bag or something like it. It was just like a big purse, like a... Over the shoulder thing, and I was like, "That it?" She's like, "Yeah." So I'll see what you got. So I dumped it out on the couch. Actually, gave her a carry-on bag so that she could just put it up in the and and repacked her stuff. And uh, and and, you know, whatever, got outfits for the wedding. I don't whatever curling iron, right? But what did I? What were the things that I asked Chelsea? I said, "Hey, do you have a boarding pass? Because we don't get past go if you can't get on that plane." You got one of those? Yeah, yeah, I printed off at work. Awesome. Do you have your ID? This is not a given in my family, just so you know. Wallets don't always make it places. Phones, wallets, things that you and I would just be like, yeah, it's obvious. Bring those things. No, not my house, right? Do you have your ID? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay, good. I don't care if you forget everything else. You can wear what you're wearing right now to the wedding. doesn't matter to me, but you're not going to get to the wedding unless you have boarding pass and ID. Who's flown? Pretty, pretty crucial to the process, right? Anybody ever lost one of those? It's a freak out moment, isn't it? I lost, I was at the movies earlier this uh, month, and I, I lost my keys. Looked on, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm digging where the popcorn and the spilt soda is under the chairs, right? I'm digging through the garbage because I thought maybe I put it in my popcorn bag, just, you know, because you're just trying to figure out everything, right? Why was, why was a grown 46-year-old man digging through the movie garbage? Because I'm not going anywhere without my keys. I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down here. Jesus is our keys. He's our boarding pass. He's our, listen, this is really good. He's, He's our identification. He's who we are. And all the rest of life is, and we flip it. Everything else is important, and we'll fit Jesus in for an hour on Sunday. He's our accessory. No, no. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's an all-in proposal. It's not kind of a halfway, sort of. It's meant to be who we are. And so I'll ask you one more time. Have you answered this question? Who are you, Lord? Have you understood him to be your accessory in life? Let me, let me help you with that definition this morning. Jesus is your all. We just sang a little, guy. We won't move without you. We won't, do we mean that when we sing that? Because that's a statement that says, you're my all. First question. Who are you, Lord? The second question that Saul asks is here in chapter uh, 22, and it's this one. What shall I do, Lord? Look what it says here in chapter 22. It says, uh, now those who are with me Saul continuing, or Paul at this time, continuing with his telling of his tale. Those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. So all those soldiers were hanging out. They saw the light. That was obvious. But, you know, the, 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 the little discussion that Saul and Jesus were having, unintelligible. And here's a second question that we don't always attribute to the Damascus road. Saul says to Jesus, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, well, Get up, go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all it is appointed for you to do. I'll, I'll let you know what you're supposed to do. Don't worry about that. Figure out who I am, and then you'll get further instructions from there. Yeah, you think as, as Saul, as the lights were kind of turning on for Saul, that this one who he, had, who he had persecuted, you know, those who were following him, this Jesus of Nazareth, as he figured out that he was the Son of God, do you think the priorities of his life kind of changed? All you got to do is read the book and see that they did. He went from persecuting Christians to becoming the leader of them and being persecuted himself. Now, he, had a, he had an encounter that reordered his entire life. Altered his future. He asked the only logical question that anybody can ask when they've uh, been a, in a face-to-face encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hey, what can I do for you? You ever see an undercover boss? It's a show on TV where the bosses, CEOs of companies, actually go into the trenches and they hang out with their employees, you know, in, a, in a horrible disguises. I don't know how these people don't know, you know, that this person is just not who they say they are. But uh, uh, but then at the end of the, you know, I don't know if it's all just, you know, made for television, it probably is. But at the end of the show, the guy takes his wig off and reveals himself to be the CEO of whatever the company is that these people work for. And it's so funny to see these people's uh, uh, attitudes change. It used to be Charlie the Fry Cook, you know, now it's Charles, the owner. And people start being like, oh, you know, they start falling all over themselves because they realize they're in the presence of authority, right? That this guy has the power to, you know, pick me up or let me down. And when, when that happens, when we realize uh, who Jesus is and make him our all in all, when we understand that he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords, the only logical question we can ask after that is like, all right, what, what can I do for you? How can I help? Saul, it says there that that Jesus told him to go into Damascus. I'll tell you what to do. Can I show you from the evidence of Saul's life some of the things that that Jesus apparently made uh, clear to Saul that he needs to do and things that we need to do if we're going to follow Jesus with our all in all? Here's what we need to do. First thing we need to do is get stronger in the faith. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. We'll finish here with the rest of our time. You and I need to get stronger in the faith. Look what it says about Saul. Saul goes into the synagogues. He's he's, he's just proclaiming that Jesus is the son of God. Remember that? That's what he said. Everybody was like, what? Who is it? What? How is this possible? And it says, but Saul increased all the more in strength. He didn't let their questioning of him slow him down. He just kept going. He increased in strength. And he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He increased in strength. So obviously what that means... Is that, you know, Saul got a gym membership and he started working out, right? And he got super buff so that when people were questioning, you know, he could just, you know, flex and scare them. Is, is that what, is anybody not following my humor here? That's, that's supposed to be funny, but uh, <laughs> next service, maybe not. All right. Uh, no, he's not talking about his physical strength. He's not talking about his stamina, his, his you know, his gun show. He was talking about his spiritual strength. He increased in strength. He grew. Really interesting thing. Saul, once he met Jesus, understood that that was not the finish line. It was the starting line. That, this might seem like, oh, yeah, I get that. Do you? Because here's what I find in a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians get their fire insurance. They have salvation in Jesus Christ. They met him when they were a little kid. Grew up in a Christian home, all that stuff. And they've basically been a good moral person all their lives. But nothing has really moved forward in their relationship with Jesus Christ for years. Because they've been able to hit the marks in their life, make it to church, maybe serve a little bit, join a life group. All right, fine, I'll do that too. But what's really going on inside is, is, is just, it's dormant. There's nothing really taking place. And Saul figured out right away, no, 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 this isn't the finish line. This isn't the the goal of Christ's coming to earth and dying on a cross and rising from the dead. this this is this is the starting line. He saved me for a purpose. And he understood two things. He understood, first of all, uh, that no one ever arrives in the faith. Does everybody understand that? Some of you are sitting here and you've been a Christian for a long time. You think, man, you know, I got this thing in cruise control, autopilot. uh, And I'm just kind of showing up on weekends. But but here's what we need to understand. None of us ever arrives in the faith. There's always something to learn from Scripture. There's always a deeper faith, a deeper humility. There's, There's places that Jesus wants us to go in our relationship with him. And our intent should be to get stronger. Never finish growing in the faith. The second thing that, that Saul understood, though, is that your strength can decrease if you don't work out. Anybody worked out for a long time and then stopped? The next, the next weekend or the next time you get under the bench, how'd that go for you? Had, had everything you had before, right? Because no one ever loses strength once you get it. Isn't that the great thing? We're eternally young. Everybody's perfect forever that's not true if you're wondering i know that i took my dog for a walk the other day it's so funny i've told you about my 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 dog aj he's 16 years old and he's you know whatever that is he's a billion in dog years and and uh and he's just kind of he sleeps a lot now if you've ever had an older dog he just sleeps almost all the time right and so uh uh, we we finally get the house things settled. We're starting to live in our house instead of working on our house. Anybody remember what that was like to just kind of be? Oh, we live here now. This is good. And so we actually took time out to start walking around our neighborhood and, and drug the dog along with us, right? And the dog's been used to just kind of going to the edge of the yard and walking back. That's been his workout. Well, now we're taking him in the middle of July, you know, all around this loop in the middle of the day, right? And so the you know after he figures out we're not you know we're not staying just in the yard, he's kind of a little excited for the beginning part. Right, all right, cool, cool. We're going to, you know, he's smelling and sniffing and sending the pee mail and all that stuff. That's what I call that. So all the dogs can know that he was there. Anyway, um, is that too much? Anyway. (laughs) Well, we walk around and and, uh, and we get, you know, we we get to a certain point, though, and his tongue is hanging out of his face, right? And he used to be out in front of us, kind of pulling us. Now he's kind of back here. How much further, Right. When we get back to the house, I kid you not, got back to the house, went right to his bowl, went to his bed, gone, three hours, didn't even see him, didn't even move, right? Why? Because A.J.'s not a puppy anymore. And A.J. had not been rolling out there for his walks on a daily basis. Strength can be sapped. Life can take it out of us. We can get flabby spiritually. Where are you at? Where are you at in your, in your walk with Jesus? Are you kind of just dormant? Uh, have, have you gone through a series of, of, of events in life that have, have kind of just beat you up? It's important that we understand that we need to work this salvation out with fear and trembling. Ever heard that from the scriptures? That we, we need to, it's, listen, it's not a salvation of works. But it's something that once we have it, it's not the finish line, it's the starting line. And we move forward in our life with Christ. So here's some things that I'm just, you know, working out on my own, some things I would encourage you to do. Now, am, I, am I in a, a workout partnership with someone? Remember me talking this fall about discipleship and how important it is for you to have people in your life that you're being fed by and people in your life that you are feeding and how, how there's, there's meant to be this iron sharpens iron type relationship with other Christians. If you don't have one of those right now, my prayer is that you will soon have one of those. Someone who's holding you accountable. Someone who's encouraging you. It's like a workout partner. You ever worked out with someone? Most people go to the gym. This is how a lot of my workouts go. Has anybody ever done this when you go to the gym? You just kind of walk in. You walk around a while. You're wearing all the outfits and stuff, right? You kind of look around. And you walk right back out. Has anybody ever done that? <laughs> anybody ever had that workout? I went to the gym today. You could totally say it without lying. But did you lift anything? No. Because you could just walk around and no one would know the difference. You could even fake like you're wiping sweat off. Someone would be like, oh, wow, that guy's really getting after it." Nope. He just walked around the gym. But if you get a workout partner, well, what happens then? Well, then both of you are like, if I'm going to lift it, you're going to lift it. And you get under the bar and you start. And listen, I've had people who've pushed me, called me all kinds of names, uh, told me, you know, that I you know need to pull my, whatever, you know, whatever. I won't tell you the things they told me. But they've gotten me to, to push further than I would have ever pushed if it was just me. You know what I'm talking about. And spiritually you need that. We're going to talk more about that this fall. You need to be in, 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 in your own times, your personal times, connecting with Jesus talking to him, praying, reading his word, figuring things out. I, I, I sit down with guys, two or three guys, and, and we just have breakfast uh, some mornings, you know, in the summer, and they're brand new believers, and it's so fun to talk to them, because it's all fresh to them, and it's been, it's been an encouragement to me. But, but these are the ways that we strengthen our faith. Saul was surrounding himself with the disciples there in Damascus, and he was growing. Are you? Am I? How about this one? <clears throat> If we're going to answer the call of Jesus in our life, if we're going to figure out what we can do for him, this is something that we have to all settle on. We've we got to prove Jesus with our lives. Here's, here's what he says. Look at verse 22 again. But Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews, all of the Jews that had basically been like, yay, Saul, come and get the Christians. He confounded the Jews there with his arguments about the faith. He would say, no, here's, here's why I've switched teams. He confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving to them that Jesus was the Christ. Now, you, you, you kind of look up some of the scholarship on this stuff, and it's, it says, well, probably Saul took all of his knowledge of the New Testament scriptures, scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, pardon me, as a Pharisee, and he started deconstructing from the law and the prophets everything that it said in there about the coming you know, of Christ. And he says, see, this is where, so he probably did it scholastically, theologically. But it doesn't say that that's the only way that it is. He he proved Jesus to the Jews in Damascus. Here's what I think happens: the Jews uh, see Paul get or Saul get there, and he starts kind of you know saying he's he's with Jesus and all this stuff. And some of them say, "Hey, wait a minute, this might be this might be a tactic. He might be going undercover. The way he's going to kind of weed out all the Christians is he's going to kind of like become like one of them." And he's going to kind of get their defenses down. And that's when he's going to spring his trap. And that's when he's going to call them all out. And then he's going to take them off to Jerusalem. So maybe uh, these Jews are kind of watching Saul as he's telling all these things in the synagogues, listening to his arguments. But then they're watching him after he's gone. And they're seeing whether or not what he says about Jesus is lining up with how he lives when no one's watching and that's what I think. Proved Jesus to these Jews as much as anything else, that what Saul said lined up with how Saul lived. So here's my question: What does our lives prove? What does your life prove about Jesus? What does my life prove about Jesus? Like, like people listen. A lot of a lot of your friends and family know that you're a Christian. Maybe you're all Christians too. But maybe, maybe there's some non-Christians in your life, people who don't yet know Jesus, and, and they know that you stand for Jesus, and, and, and they're cool with that. Do you know that they're watching you like a hawk? And they are just waiting for you to do one thing. Because what's the, what's the greatest uh, critique of the church? It's full of what? Hypocrites. People who talk a good game and then live like it doesn't matter. And the world is watching those who follow Jesus Christ, just looking for any inconsistencies that they could find. The cameras are rolling. Anybody see there's a, a Florida high school, or college student that was a, a part of a football team, uh, and, and he punches a girl at a bar this week. Does anybody see this? There's cameras everywhere. When the news first came out, you know, he was dismissed from the team, and we've got to find out. Okay, <laughs> the video evidence is damning. Does everybody agree with me on that? And the verdict is in. His actions proved. What do your actions prove? What do my actions prove? Do they line up with the things that we say? If we're going to do what Jesus wants us to do, we need to get stronger in the faith. We need to be committed to growing in in our relationship with Him. We need to live a life that lines up with what we say. We need to lean on fellow followers. Look what it says. Here in verse 23, as the story of Saul continues, when many days had passed. Now let me just pause there and let me do a little uh, you know, Bible with you here. Sometimes when you read when many days, how many is many days? How many, give me a number. What do you think many days is? Six? Like how many is few? A few days is what? Three, because everybody knows few is three. Three letters in few, a few is three. Several? Seven. Because there's seven letters in several. I mean, that's the logic, right? That's how I do it. Now, many, that's one of those tougher ones. Many could be, you know, so maybe a couple weeks, you know, many days had passed. Uh, Sometimes if you dig deeper into scriptures, you can find out uh, from other parts of scripture just how long a a time is when it's vague in some part of scripture. You can go to, like, Galatians chapter 1, where Saul says, who is now Paul, hey, uh, while I was in Damascus, I went out into the uh, Arabian desert. I went into Arabia for three years. Three years has passed. In one verse, one verse, here in the book of Acts, Uh, Saul uh, comes in Damascus. uh, He is saved uh, radically, starts talking in the synagogues, but then somewhere along the line it was determined it's best for him to go out into the woods, spend three years out there, Galatians chapter 1, 16 through 18. Uh, Lots of people believe that those three years were spent in preparing him to become an apostle, just like the other apostles, the disciples, who hung out with Jesus for three, three and a half years. Some scholars believe that that's why he had to spend three years in the desert. We don't know what he did out there. Wouldn't it be nice to know? I'd like to read that book. Anybody? But we can assume that he's still working out his salvation. He's still growing in his faith. He's, he's preparing for the ministry that's going to become the rest of the book of Acts. And when he finally comes back to Damascus, three years have passed. When many days has passed, he comes back to Damascus. He's still preaching this gospel. The Jews who were once on his team, they wore the same laundry back when he was first coming to Damascus. The Jews who were once his proponents, his champions, were like, this is it. This Saul guy, he has got to go. And so they plotted to kill him. But Saul, verse 24, heard about it. Their plot became known to Saul. And they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples... Those that Saul had had the joy of seeing uh, find their faith in Jesus. As he shared the gospel, people were like, I believe. And they met Jesus personally, too. Those disciples, his followers, his fellow followers of Jesus Christ, they took him by night and they let him down through an opening in the wall and they lowered him in a basket. I remember hearing this story when I was a little kid going to Sunday school. Uh, they had flannel grass. Anybody remember flannel grass? I mean, like, what's a flannel graph? Well, before they had screens, uh, they had felt. And uh, they would tell stories, you know, with these little picture pieces. And, and the basket would come down the side of the wall of Jerusalem. And you'd be like, oh, cool, there's Saul. So. Right? But this actually happened. Saul was in danger of, of losing his life. And his friends, clandestinely, some night in the middle of the night, stuck him in, like, a basket that you would put, you know, food stores in. That's what they, they would store their food in. Stuck him in a basket, tied a rope. Hopefully he made it really tight. And then they lowered him down off the city walls so that he could escape with his life. Now, let's just pause for a second. You ever thought back through your life and say, hey, if this doesn't happen, then I'm not where I am today? Has anybody ever thought about that? Like, if I don't move, uh, you know, uh, I'll go to college in Chicago, Illinois, which I had no business going to a Bible school when I started at, the, at Moody Bible Institute when I was a freshman. It, was my, it wasn't even a choice. It was the only place i applied to i applied in late april they accepted me i was like okay i guess i'm going there and that was it i go to this school i end up liking it enough to go back the second year and i meet eleanor may from indianapolis illinois no wait that's not in illinois indianapolis indiana how's it going (laughs) And if I hadn't made it, just follow me. Has anybody done this? You've ever kind of like run back through your, your, your life? If I hadn't done this, I wouldn't have met them and I wouldn't be here. Are you with me? Okay, now do that in the Bible every once in a while. Like, like this, let's just play this out. Let's say that the Jews in Damascus plot to kill Saul. Saul comes to his disciple friends and he says, hey, man, they're going to they're gonna kill me here. And his disciples' friends, ooh, tough luck, man. It stinks to be you. Wow. I'm going to try to stay away from you in case they kill me with you. And we all laugh and giggle, but that is entirely possible in the human mind, right? You are a marked man. I am Audi 5,000. I'm gone, right? But they don't. And because they don't, listen, because they don't, you have the back of your New Testament. Right? I mean, there are moments in life where if this goes a different way, everything's different. See back to the future, Right? And in this, this, this little telling of this tale, we see how important it is in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ to be <laughs> in relationship with other people. Because every once in a while, you're going to need someone to lower you down in a basket somewhere. Everybody, anybody ever been in a basket? Anybody ever been in a hard time? You're like, man, I need help. I feel like I'm going to die under the weight of whatever's going on in my life. And then here they come. Dun, 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 dun. And it's the, it's the fellow followers of Jesus Christ. And the Calvary cavalry. Oh, that's corny. But they come in. And they're like, hey man, how can I help? I got a rope. I got a basket. Let's figure this out. And let's keep you going in your journey with Jesus. Can't tell you how many times it's happened in my life. The two greatest blessings of a pastor's life or the, the, the greatest blessing and the greatest curse are the people and the people. Are you with me? Because when it's good and the body of Christ is doing what it's supposed to do, there's nothing better on earth. When it's bad and the body of Christ is acting contrary to what God wants to do, there's nothing harder on earth. But in the times of my life when, when we've been surrounded by those who would pray for us and encourage us and support us, it's just been the best. The first funeral I ever did was for a three-year-old. His name was Sammy. His parents and I uh, had served in the same youth group together. Uh, we knew them. We we were there at Sammy's birth. They, right after Sammy was born, they moved from Dallas, Texas to Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, and they were back in town for a weekend. I was preaching at, at our church there in Dallas, uh, so it was a big celebration because they could hear me preach. At, you know, I wasn't preaching that much at the time, and and so I got to preach. And then that afternoon, we went out, all four of us and and our kids. You know, we went out and had lunch at Wendy's together. Uh, Sam was the youngest by a, a few years, and, uh, and he just, you know, he was just a sweet kid, blonde curls. I mean, just the greatest kid ever. Laughed. They were, at a, they were attending a, a family reunion. They went to a, a hotel where the entire family uh, and all the kids were hanging out. They were in a pool. Someone lost track of Sammy, and he drowned. I was in the room when they unplugged this little boy. And just so you know, uh, every once in a while in life, it's just best not to say anything. Okay? Don't, there's just times in life uh, where if you're the fellow follower in a situation just shut up just don't say anything spend a lot of time just hugging and praying and not saying much else yeah everybody was in town so it was a quick funeral uh, everybody stuck around for an extra day but two days later we were all in the church and I was standing in front of a, my first funeral I'd never given one before it was for someone I knew and loved it was hard not as hard as it was for the parents, obviously, in the family, but it was hard. I looked back as I was doing the funeral. In the very back, they just kind of slipped in as the funeral was beginning, uh, were two of our friends. Their names were Warren and Lisa. And Warren and Lisa had served on the same teams with, you know, Pat and Sarah, the parents of Sammy, but, but they weren't as, you know, close to them. They weren't really friends, uh, just kind of acquaintances. And I saw them back there, and just for a second, kind of time slowed down. I was like, what are they doing here? And then it dawned on me. They're not necessarily here for those mourning this child from their family. They're back there to pray for me as I give the funeral. And that's what they did the whole time. They just prayed for everybody involved. They prayed for me. And they just sat there. And I could sense the Spirit, you know, giving me the things that I said. When it was time to go, I had obviously lots of things to handle up on. They just stood up in the back. They're still some of our best friends ever. They stood up in the back and they just raised their hands as a sign that we're praying for you. They walked out. That left an indelible impression on me. Because (laughs) when life happens, when you need a rope and a basket, you you, you should be able to count on the church. You should be able to count on those close in with you who are following Jesus. Now, here's my question. Do you know anybody else who's following Jesus? are you just kind of an anonymous face here in a big room with black chairs do you like it that way I don't want anybody up in my stuff been disappointed before by other relationships I get that Christians can be brutal sheep bite sometimes don't they Right. but is that an excuse for you to miss out on the lifeline that God has designed in the body of Christ for you and for me through the relationships that he gives us with fellow followers no you need to find a life group. You need to listen. One of the reasons I want you to serve is so that you'll find other Christians, become friends with them, and 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 have them on team whoever you are. <laughs> so that when life happens, they come with the rope in the basket and they they get you through it. Can I share with you one more before we go? <clears throat> Flip that around real quick. That you should find fellow followers to do life with. You should be a fellow follower. Anybody ever heard that? You've got to be a friend to have a friend? Anybody's parent, anybody's parent ever tell them that? Hey, if you want friends, you've got to be a friend. Well, the, the Scriptures teaches us that it, it, we, we need to be seeking out those whom we can encourage. Look at says here. We're going to kind of switch hats here. I'm not going to talk about Saul. I'm going to talk about one of his buddies. Uh, when Saul uh, leaves De- uh, Damascus, he heads to Jerusalem. Again, truncating a lot of time here, but he spent some more time in Damascus, figured out that they were going to kill him, left, and he goes from Damascus to Jerusalem. It says when he got there, he attempted to join the disciples. He went to find the church in Jerusalem. It's three years after the fact. You know, he's kind of been gone in the, in the deserts of Arabia. But they still remembered his reputation. Oh, this is Saul of Tarsus? Yeah, we're not going to hang out with him. Still afraid of him. They were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. Okay, again, push the pause button. If the Jerusalem Christians reject, reject Saul, is there a good chance that Saul does not become the Apostle Paul and write the back half of your Bible? Yeah. So we need someone else to come to the rescue here. And that's what Jesus sends. He sends Barnabas. He says, Barnabas uh, took him, and he brought Saul to the apostles and declared to them how on the road uh, Saul had seen the Lord, and, and, and he spoke to him, and, and, and how the, uh, in Damascus Saul had preached boldly the name of Jesus. Barnabas becomes a living letter of recommendation. Yeah, I'll, 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 be, I'll be your recommendation. I'll, I'll do that for you. And he goes, he's already in with the church of Jerusalem. If you remember in Acts chapter 4, he sold a big piece of property and donated it so the church could get going in the early parts of the, of the history of the church. And uh, he, He's trusted. And so it takes his voice to the church of Jerusalem to, to get Saul kind of... He's the grease on the wheel. He gets him in. Here's my question to you as we leave. Are you lending your voice to the success of some other follower? And I know, listen, I'm not talking that most of us need to go and talk to somebody's friends or family and, and you know, uh, grease the wheel for them as, as far as them accepting their their newfound faith and stuff like that. We're not going to have the, a Barnabas experience. But I am I am amazed by how often... I get to be Barnabas to someone uh, in their own life and in their own thinking. Here's what I mean. <clears throat> A lot of times people can uh, just be convinced that I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to make it through the things that uh, I'm facing in life. I, I, I just can't go another step further. I'm not good enough. Uh, there's been countless times where, where people have come to me in those moments and been my encourager, my Barnabas. That's what his name means, son of encouragement. And there's been times, by the grace of God, that I've been able to be that in someone else's life. There's a young girl named Crystal. She was a youth in my, uh, one of my first youth groups. I met her just way, way back in 1994. She was a 12-year-old, and uh, she went on this all-nighter uh, that we had for our junior high uh, youth group back then. And she was hanging out with some rough kids, kind of came as a friend to some other kids. But she started hanging out at church. Even when her family wasn't going, she started hanging out at church. Made lots of mistakes. Anybody know kids who make lots of mistakes? I was one. Made lots of mistakes at different times in her, her, her journey with Jesus. Some people would have been like, you know what, it's over. She's chosen the boyfriend over Jesus. She's chosen this over Jesus. She's chosen. And, and, but here, here's the deal. God just surrounded Crystal with some Barnabases, Barnabai. <laughs> and they just kept talking uh, to Crystal and saying, no. God's, God's got this. God's going to change things. You can do this. You, 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 there's so much in store for you as you follow Jesus. Over time, uh, Crystal started tipping in the direction of Christ. She ended up going to Moody Bible Institute, alma mater. Uh, While she was there, we continued to encourage her. Uh, My wife, Eleanor, this wasn't me, but Eleanor would actually financially support Crystal. You know, send money for her tuition from our whatever we were making, which wasn't a whole lot. Just constantly saying, you can do this, we're behind you, you can do this. I don't even know if you ever know that, that we were doing that. But uh, uh, Crystal graduated. she met an, an incredible young guy. Uh, and for the last 15 years, Crystal has been a missionary in Uganda with orphans, uh, making a huge difference around the world for the name of Christ. How did she get there? Well, obviously the grace of God how is the grace of God administered to this young girl who was kind of on a different path through people who encouraged her are you an encourager of somebody are you an encourager of someone who has doubts about themselves and their faith sat last this last thing sat last night with a a young guy who's been going to our church for years he's uh, just finishing up college heading into his master's degree and uh, he waited last night for a long time to talk to me finally Everybody else kind of dispersed, and we got to sit and, sh- and just share. And, and, and this young guy just talked to me and says, "You know what? I don't know what's going on, but I've always tried to live my life in front of people the way that you know my parents and you and everybody else has taught me. I've 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 done the things that I know to do, but I feel like I need to do something more. And so I've just started texting people. I guess that's the new evangelistic tool, text messaging. Uh, but I've just started texting people in my life that I know don't follow Jesus." And I'm just putting it out there. Can you read one of my texts that I wrote somebody? And I read this kid's text. And it was one of these just just God-ordained, God-directed uh, pieces of literature, you know, on the phone. And he's, he lovingly just explains his faith and tells this buddy that he went to college with, that he was in a fraternity with, Hey, man, I, I want you to know Jesus, too. And he, and he told me, he says, this is freaking me out. I mean, this is changing things. This is, this is putting me out there with my friends. I was like, oh, man, isn't it great? He's like, oh, kind of. like, But I want to know more. I desire to be a, a difference maker in someone's life. I don't want to just live my life in front of them. I want to I push them. I want to be God's agent to make a difference in my friend's life. I want them to have what I have in Jesus. He's a Barnabas. He wants to encourage people in their journey with Christ are you? am I? two biggest questions we ever ask who are you Lord and what can I do for you may we answer them well and may we live for Jesus let me pray hey God thanks so much for your word chance to open it now uh, help us to be like you uh, but on our way to becoming like you use people like Saul and their example their passion, their pers- uh, perseverance, their uh, their willingness to get stronger, uh, to prove you with their lives, to lean on fellow followers. Thanks for people like Barnabas uh, who are encouragers. Lord, uh, help us be all of those things for each other so that your mission goes forward and that our piece of that church history, of the history of your church, that, that we are successful in it, God, here in Brandon because we've submitted ourselves to you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Amen. Grab some donuts. Go get some uh, involvement opportunities figured out out there. If you need some prayer, I'll be in the corner. God bless you as you go.